Well, hello there, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Sim Land back on the line, and he has got a new book coming out. He's he's freaking crushing it. He's got all kinds of books that are already out, but this one in particular is about how stress can make you stronger, which is a very relevant topic right now with all the stressors going on in the world. We talk about how different stressors, both physically, mentally, emotionally, can have a hormetic effect on your body's resilience and ability to keep on going in tough times. So, Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I trust you will as well. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast with Simland. And we are live. Sim, how are you, man? Hey, I'm uh, doing really good. I'm glad to talk with you. <laughs> this is the is it the second or the third podcast that you've been on here with me? Uh well, I've been at least once, but I'm not sure if it's the third or second. Uh, maybe like the second one. Yeah, it's, it's we've had we've had quite a few conversations. We we kind of dove into your backstory on the first one, but then since then we've just kind of talked about every different nuance of what all you're diving into. And you've got a new book coming out, which is Stronger by Stress. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, coming out in August. In August. So let's roll up our sleeves, man. I I this is something that interests me because I'm all about you know, hormesis, putting a, a strategic stressor on the body to force it to grow and adapt. And I have a feeling that's what this is mostly about. So let's let's dive into it, man. What what was the motivation behind this book? And then just kind of what were some of the different aspects of it? Where'd you take it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I didn't have like a plan to write this book. Uh, uh, but, you know, once the, you know, pandemic hit, <laughs> then I was like, I saw a lot of people freaking out about it. And I also kind of, you know, kind of came to the conclusion that the society and the people we modern people tend to be very fragile in a way we're not really uh, prepared for these kinds of uh, disasters and catastrophes so uh, we're very much just living in this very safe environment and we're expecting that nothing bad ever happens (laughs) but the problem is that these kinds of stressful events and uh, you know chaos itself is a very intrinsic part of the human experience and especially our history as well so the you know, it's very, actually very uh, unnormal to live in this very safe environment where there's no conflict, there's no uh, no famine, there's no, you know, floods, there's no, well, there is in, in some areas of the world, but relatively most of the time we're living in a very, you know, pristine environment. And I think fear that just because of living in this very, like, a, living in a very uh, un... Uh, on chaotic environment we kind of condition ourselves to not be able to handle them and that's why i wanted to put together like this sort of a book that uh, delves into how do you actually leverage the benefit sides of uh, stress and how do we actually use it to not become like wiped out from like these random events uh, and instead uh, just improve your health and become more resilient against them i love it i love it i made an instagram post a while back like long before this pandemic ever hit but it was it was kind of an unpopular post because I was basically just pointing out the fact that we live in an environment that is just so soft, so comfortable that everybody has just allowed themselves to become weak. And, you know, like if you were to rewind the clock a couple hundred thousand years and it was like actually survival of the fittest that would kind of weed out the herd and then the strong would overpop- would, you know, reproduce and that would be what filled the the population now it's like everybody stays i mean healthcare is better so you know the sick stay sick longer and they don't get wiped out like everything just keeps compounding 
and not that I want you know everybody to just yeah. die off by any means, but <laughs> I feel like we need to really have the fact that we should work to improve our immunity, improve our resilience, improve our strength, both mentally and physically, on top of mind. Otherwise, you know, just from like an epigenetic standpoint, we're passing down these flawed traits to our to our offspring, and that's obviously not good. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I I don't want to go back into those ages as well. Like I don't want to, uh, you know, go into an era where there's like some warlords raging uh, throughout the landscape and you know different kinds of asteroids hitting the earth and whatnot. So yeah, like I'm very grateful for the modern environment, but at the same time, like you know, we shouldn't take it for granted and uh, we should always like have this sort of a some some sort of like a prepper mentality in a way that uh, we, you know, a lot of people have health insurance, they have insurance for their car, they have insurance for their house. But what about the like insurance for these kinds of, you know, stressful events and these uh, you know, random chaos that you know inevitably will happen eventually in some shape or form. So like we need to have like some sort of a at least like a minimum minimal effective dose approach to all kinds of potential dangers that we come across like we should know how to like forage a little bit we should know how to you know get get by with our without like the supermarket we should have like access to some food we should have the ability to you know go fasting for a few days we should have the ability to go like on some uh, you know prolonged endurance we should have the ability to also ha- handle different kinds of uh, like heat and cold and all those things like you know and we should have like a yeah like this sort of a uh, voluntary engagement of uh, doing those things as a way to uh, keep ourselves conditioned and uh, adapted to them because you know once the you know once the event actually happens once the pandemic hits then everyone's gonna go rush into the store and everyone's gonna freak out or you know for example if there's gonna be some sort of a like ice age then initially people are gonna you know feel very cold and they're not really used to the cold uh, whereas someone who is you know regularly engaged in uh, exposing themselves to like uh, the cold showers or ice baths then they have like at least some sort of like preparedness uh, for them 100 percent agree man so is is the book like is it uh like just looking at all these different aspects both mentally physically and then just kind of breaking out like a like a minimum effective dose, like an eighty twenty analysis, kind of of what people can do now, or how how did you format all this? Yeah, well, the entire book is uh, centered around the concept of uh, hormesis, and uh, hormesis is the biological phenomenon where a small amount of toxic uh, substance or uh, like a stressor has a beneficial uh, end result. So your body does get like a small amount of damage from this stress. But uh, it's uh, gonna get used to it or adapts to it and gets stronger. Actually, so the best example is just uh, weightlifting and resistance training. So you are causing small amounts of damage to the body when you're lifting weights. But um, after you recover, then you actually get stronger and the muscles grow. So, for example, uh, you know the, this. And you know there are different examples of hormesis. Like uh, the fasting is hormesis. Uh, the sauna is hormesis. The cold is has a hormetic dose. Uh, even things like the EMF. Uh, 5g those things can have a hormetic dose Mm -hmm. and yeah different kinds of substances like coffee can have a hormetic benefit so yeah like uh, there are all these different kinds of uh, substances that even evolutionarily we've been exposed to like the cold uh, different plant compounds as well as uh, physical exertion they have been a part of our human experience Uh, but the problem is also that you can all definitely take it too far and uh, the 
key is to find the optimal dose for those things. What's the optimal dose for fasting? What's the optimal dose for exercise, uh, the cold heat, and yeah, like just implementing them into your uh, everyday lifestyle as a way to just improve your health and longevity because hormesis is not only it's not only going to make you tougher against those stressors but it's also has like it's involved in the immune system it's involved with just longevity and living longer because like one of the key aspects of uh, or one of the key char- unique characteristics um, or similarities that a lot of the longest living organisms on the planet have is that they are living in this very harsh uh, environments and harsh conditions uh, for example like there's uh you know different kinds of whales living in very cold cold waters uh, clams living in cold waters where there's not a lot of like sunlight and uh, not a lot of food as well as like even these uh, naked mole rats which are very long living uh, rodents living in uh, i believe in some african country and they basically live underground they have uh, no hair they're like really hairless hairless rats and they look really nasty and really weird but they have like a really exponentially long lifespan they live like maybe 30 times longer than the average rat and part of it has to do with because they're living in these um like underground burrows and uh there they don't have access to a lot of oxygen so they're able to kind of uh use a lot of their own co2 or carbon dioxide to survive for longer and uh, they also like even they have like mild resistance to pain and different kinds of acids so yeah they even have a lower chance of developing cancer so part of it has to do with the, like this in my opinion at least like a lot of this hormetic uh, living environments where they're constantly under like some form of uh, exertion and a mild amount of like this hormetic stress you know it's interesting because like you know you and i i feel like we're speaking the same language like we we like intentionally subjecting our bodies to uncomfortable situations and scenarios that force us to adapt and grow and and strengthen our resolve and that's why we weight train that's why we we do these hot cold therapies that's why we that's why we go fasting that's why we do these things but so much of the population is i mean the vast majority of the population is is on the other end of the spectrum entirely and they want to avoid all uncomfortable situations to the best of their ability like they 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 strive for comfort <laughs> and it's it's interesting because like i feel like this pandemic this i mean i would hope anyways that this pandemic at least opens their eyes to the fact that look you know it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows it's kind of nice to to have a little bit of resolve a little bit of uh, resistance to what the the world is throwing at you so a lot of people want like a, a minimum effective dose they want to do the absolute minimum and reap the most rewards so like in the context of you know weight training or in the context of you know hot and cold therapy for instance what would you say to to these people wanting to get away and skate by with the absolute minimum like how much are you suggesting they they incorporate like what what would you suggest to them uh well yeah so it depends on their goals and uh what are they trying to accomplish so uh yeah like uh there is definitely like a certain minimal effective dose that you can get away with like weightlifting and even like uh, hot and cold. Uh, but there's also like the optimal dose. So like, uh, you know, yeah, it depends on how, how adapted you want to become for those things. Because the thing is that like the more, let's say for in, in the example of heat, uh, then yeah, there is definitely like a, 
like the like the lower threshold at, at which you get like all the health benefits but there's also like a higher threshold at which you become like just increasingly more tolerant to the heat so there's not like additional health benefits you just become tougher for the heat and mm-hmm. you're like but it but it, it can it can be a beneficial thing if you are like actually in the desert or something like that but it can also be kind of uh, counterproductive if you're just trying to get the health benefits because you just have to, have to like keep pushing the envelope higher and higher to elicit the same benefit because like the more adapted you are to a particular stressor then the less effective it also becomes eventually so that's why like you have to take some deal of breaks from training and uh, yeah, like uh, not do the same thing all the time but generally um, I like to do some form of uh, you know beneficial stress every day and uh, the way I kind of cycle between them is uh, for 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 those days where I do like uh, resistance training and uh, weightlifting then on those days I'm not going to do things like the cold or the heat because uh, the cold exposure can actually blunt some of the beneficial effects of resistance training by shutting down the inflammatory response and kind of dump dampening the signal that you get from training because uh you need you know the training itself causes uh, some inflammation and oxidative stress and you need that small amount of stress and inflammation to signal the muscles to grow and uh, become stronger so if you turn it off with like the cold uh or like taking a bunch of antioxidants then you're also uh, potentially just uh not getting uh you're not going to see that much progress because you're you know shutting down the beneficial hormetic response so in that in that sense i like to cycle between days where i do like resistance training and muscle growth and for the other days where i'll just do like uh, the cold and the heat for the purpose of recovery and uh that that's usually on those like rest days so i you know minimally i would say that you should do like some form of resistance training or exercise at least like you know three times a week and uh you you know in the in the example of cold and heat then once a week should be like the bare minimum uh but yeah like even uh you know doing it three times a week again is like also like a really good uh, benefit because yeah for there's a lot some studies in in finland where they see that taking a sauna more than four times a week was uh associated with like up to 40% reduced all cause mortality and uh and uh and reduced risk of cardiovascular disease as well so in this, so this you know the, even even the smallest amount of sauna that you can get away can, you can do is uh even then it's uh beneficial but uh you know there's definitely like doing it more often is also more beneficial so yeah it uh, depends on the how how much access do they have to a particular thing and um yeah like what's their goals Totally, totally. The sauna is is definitely my my next future purchase. Like if I'm gonna spoil myself, it's gonna be with the sauna because there's just so much research that indicates the benefits of it. And I I don't have a sauna now, but I, I just look at what all you're getting from like the heat shock protein, the hormetic effect of it. I mean, there's just so much good that comes with the sauna use. Um, and honestly, it's it's yeah. it's good for the mind too. Like if you can zone out and sit in the sauna for 20 minutes and just make that your meditation time or time to listen to a podcast or read a book. Like, it's it just multi-purpose, and you're benefiting on all fronts. Yeah, totally. Like, um, the uh, yeah, the heat shock proteins, they are, like, helpful to uh, lower inflammation and uh, repair these uh, misfolded proteins. So they have, like, anti-aging effects as well as uh, improved cardiovascular functioning. So the best 
or the most researched benefit of the sauna and heat it has to do with yeah just lowering risk of cardiovascular disease and uh, improving just uh, cardiovascular function and improving blood flow and the, those things because yeah it does feel like uh, almost like a workout if you are in the sauna and mm-hmm. I, I like to I, I I do both the infrared sauna as well as the traditional sauna so I kind of cycle back and forth to them and yeah like both of them are good um, but you know if I were to choose one because like in the states the traditional saunas aren't that popular whereas in here in uh, northern Europe they're pretty popular so yeah like if I were to choose one then I would to choose the uh, infrared just because the infrared they have like a similar uh, heat shock protein response and they has a, have the same similar cardiovascular health benefits, but you also get the, the uh, infrared light, which has a unique effect that you do, don't get from the traditional sauna. So like both both are awesome, but yeah, like if I were to choose one, then I, I would do the infrared. Yeah, and with the infrared, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you don't have to go near as hot on the total temperature because the infrared is kind of going deeper into the actual tissue, right? Uh, yeah, like if 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 we're talking about yeah the um, the heat shock protein response, then yeah, you don't need to go that hot. Uh, but if we're talking about like just again, like if you're talking about the pure tolerance to heat mm-hmm. and just being able to tolerate it, then you would need to do the actual heat <laughs> with the traditional sauna. So uh, yeah, like the infrared sauna is great for uh, all the unique benefits you get from the infrared sauna has to do with like improved uh, like joint health and uh, mitochondrial health. Uh, whereas, in my opinion, I would I would think that uh, like the tr- traditional sauna would um, it would make you sweat more, and it would also like let's say it would also like uh, maybe detox you more because of the sweat as well. So you're sweating more, then you're excreting more of the like different metals and different pathogens out as well. Gotcha, gotcha. And I know that a lot of the sauna marketing now it's like they're really trying to you know create a, a very low or zero emf output in the saunas you you mentioned that there's a uh you know minimum effective dose to emf is that something that you would want to include strategically or is that something better off just left out entirely well um yeah like the thing with emf is that uh, we are already like somewhat adapted to it like uh, i would imagine that if you take your grandparents then their tolerance to Wi-Fi and 5G is much lower than for for someone like us who have already been you know exposed to it on a much more larger uh, basis. So I think the EMF thing, um, EMF can have a beneficial effect as long as you get some downtime from it. So you don't uh, or you shouldn't want to be in a high EMF environment 24/7 because your body will never have the opportunity to uh, you know uh, recover from it. So the thing EMF affects your body is that it's going to trigger oxidative stress and uh, releases this sort of a free radical called peroxynitrate, which is like a really ma- massive uh, free radical that's uh, involved with a lot of like uh, carcinogenesis and just overall inflammation. Mm-hmm. So if you're constantly ex- exposed to it, then it's going to cause problems and you're just you're not you're not going to have like the recovery. So that's why. Uh, usually I would say that the most important time to have like a low EMF environment is when you're sleeping. And uh, and yeah, for that, you can use like different grounding mats. You can definitely turn off the Wi-Fi. You should keep your uh, phone on airplane mode whenever you're not using it. And you should definitely not have it like underneath a pillow or something like that. So uh, that's why like the sleeping environment should be like as pristine uh, as possible. Uh, f- f- because at that point, your body also like repairs itself the most. Most of the antioxidant uh, defense systems get processed during sleep um, 
the rep muscle repair happens during sleep fat loss mostly happens during sleep uh neuro neuro repair happens during sleep so yeah like sleep is, is really critical and if you are like uh, disrupting your sleep with uh, just being you know next to a wi-fi router then yeah that can have like a long-term uh, side effects uh, because we don't really have like that long-term you know experience or data about how these things affect us gotcha in, in the sauna in the sauna ideally it would be the best to be also in like a relatively low emf environment uh, because uh, uh, the, the detox pathways also uh, if your if, if your body is like stressed out because of being in a emf soup then it's also going to inhibit some of the detox pathways so ideally you should have like a low emf sauna uh, uh, but at, you know, at the same time, it's not like the end of the world. But ideally, like I would recommend a low EMF sauna, such as Clearlight is the most uh, famous one, the one that I'm using as well, as well as Sauna Space, which are both uh, relatively low EMF. Gotcha, gotcha. What about uh, I'm going to pick your brain on fasting a little bit because I just got done with a, a five and a half day fast, second fast we've ever done, and there's there's been a lot of you know, you're talking about like minimum effective dose and, and where you may benefit in one regard, but then, you know, lose out in another. So like with regard to maintaining lean muscle tissue, you're obviously going to maintain a lot more lean tissue if you're keto adapted going into a fast because your body's efficient at using any stored fat you have. Is there a point like if if everyone, if all things are created equal, you are keto adapted and you go through a fast, is there like a, a general, you know, point at which any additional fasting time is going to not really have that much of an advantageous standpoint from cell turnover autophagy uh, and you're going to start losing that lean mass like is there like a point at which you say okay this is this is my you know classic 80 20 here i don't need to go beyond this or else i'm just going to sacrifice some of that lean mass and i put that on a higher pedestal than what benefits i'm getting from the fasting alone are yeah certainly like uh, i think um Depends on like a lot what you're doing when you're not fasting as well. So, for example, like you mentioned, if you are keto adapted, you're eating like a low carb keto diet, then uh, you don't uh, need to fast for that long, or at least you're going to get the benefits uh, somewhat faster, because uh, you know uh, ketosis mimics a lot of the same physiological aspects of fasting, and it also helps you to go into autophagy faster because you your body doesn't have to burn through like a bunch of glycogen and you have like lower insulin levels. So uh, the generally the benefits of autophagy start to kick in once your liver glycogen has been depleted and once your insulin and mTOR gets suppressed as well. So uh, in, in most cases, it's, it depends on the person and depends on like their body composition as well. If, uh, if someone like you who is exercising a lot, they're already doing training, they're not overeating calories, they're not uh, obese, then for them it's... Uh, it's a much uh, like a shorter fast is going to achieve the kind of positive benefits. And for them, it's also going to become more catabolic and more muscle wasting faster compared to someone who is like overweight and who has like insulin resistance. So yeah, it's um, individual, it depends on the individual. But overall, I would say for most people who are like, you know, relatively healthy, then they don't really need to go beyond uh, like three days. Three days tends to be the uh, absolute uh, maximum in my opinion. Uh, for if you want to like maintain muscle like I, I, I would imagine that after three days you would start to lose muscle uh, if you are like a very active individual and you have like high um, like energy requirement and a fast metabolism um, and, but at the same time like you know and yeah like you know five day fast is definitely 
you could do it and you could like get away with it but i would say it's not necessary like you would already get all the benefits you need even from like a 48 hour fast um if you're like physically active uh, but i personally do like uh, a 48 hour fast maybe once or twice a month and i'll do like a three-day fast once a quarter uh, per year so i would say that's a, like a pretty uh good uh balance for in my opinion uh, and for my like um my current energy requirements if i were to be doing like some form of like actual competing then i wouldn't do like these longer fasts during like an actual competition season or something like that at that point i would focus more on just the performance aspect but if i'm like just you know cruising along and doing like just maintenance and longevity mode then i would um, have them on a yeah like a regular basis every 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 few weeks i would do like a 48 hour fast and yeah, like I would, I would think that the consistency is uh, somewhat more important than how hard you push it, if that makes sense. Like you could have like a ten-day fast once a year, uh, but it's not going to be nearly as healthy as if you were to do like a forty-eight-hour fast every month. You know, because uh, because the forty-eight-hour fast every month is going to keep your like. Uh, basal levels of autophagy somewhat higher than if you were to do it like really hardcore once a year and you don't do anything uh, related to that uh, for the rest of the year. So I think the consistency aspect is probably also like pretty important. Totally, totally agree. I, I did the longer five and a half day fast here simply because I hadn't fasted in like over a year and I just finished doing the competition prep and the reverse diet and I was at a pretty healthy caloric surplus. I don't ever recommend fasting in the context of being in a caloric deficit, but since I had ramped up my calories and my baseline intake was pretty high, I wanted to go ahead and push it into a five and a half day fast. But now that I've done that, I've wiped the slate clean and I'm starting fresh. I think what I'm going to do going forward is every quarter, uh, you know, kind of like time a deload week with my training in tandem with a, you know, three day fast or so, and then just continually do that every quarter. Um, that way I'm, I'm not really risking any loss in muscle tissue, it's kind of giving my body a reset because I'll be in the maintenance caloric intake or in a surplus even being in a building phase and I'm not just constantly overloading on my digestive system and everything else but having that, you know, con continual quarterly fast I think is, is key. Yeah, it's, a, it's also like a good reset. So, uh, for example, uh, you know, muscle building, you, your body also becomes, you know, more resistant towards muscle growth, the more or the longer you do it. So if you are constantly in like a bulking mode and you are constantly like eating a higher protein diet all the time, then your body somewhat adapts to it and it becomes less effective. So doing like a longer fast, like a three or five day fast is like a massive reset for uh, muscle growth and uh, mTOR signaling specifically. So it's going to make your body more sensitive to like a further muscle growth. So yeah, like it's a good uh, idea to have some periods for increasing autophagy and uh, re resetting mTOR, if that makes sense. So autophagy actually also involves in uh, like the adaptation towards, ex towards the stress that you experience from exercise. So if you, you don't really want to like blunt it or stop it completely either. Right, right. Speaking of, of muscle growth, I saw a picture of you on Instagram not too long ago, and you're looking freaking jacked and shredded, man. What are you, what are you doing right now? You're like preparing <laughs> for something big, photo shoot coming up or something? Uh, no, not really. Like uh, it's just like the summer and uh, becoming you know more more ready for the uh, hotter weather and that sort of things. But yeah, like I, I don't really have uh, 
Like I don't really go into very massive surplus, even you know the other times of the year. I'm relatively around my maintenance calories all the time, so it's it's somewhat easy to just maintain, uh, you know, a, a lean physique if you are doing some fasting and especially keto as well, and uh, just eating like a, the nutrient dense diet. So it's you never really feel that you that you go on a, like a like a rebound after a diet or something like that because mm-hmm. it's very kind of sustainable. Totally agree, man. I've, I've, I've done that before. I've, I've finished a competition prep in which my calories were really low, and then I would have a very unhealthy rebound, and I'd put on, you know, 25, 30 pounds immediately post-show, and it's just so unhealthy. It's just your, your body is just it's just it's just overstepping the bounds. It's not necessary. Now I try to keep it within, you know, 10, 15 pounds tops of, you know, my 4% traded competition weight because anything beyond that I just feel like is is not warranted. Plus, you don't have to be, like there's this old wives' tale, I guess, in the bodybuilding community that you need to be just a lot heavier on the body fat front in order to really optimize muscle growth. And you do have to have some more body fat. You do have to have some more calories, but you do not have to be obese in order to to maximize your ability to put muscle on in the off-season. I mean, if anything, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice because if you put on too much weight then you're going to have a, a dip in your cardiovascular strength and then you're not going to be able to perform a given set to its full potential which is going to result in less you know strength increase and lean muscle tissue increase in the first place yeah totally agree and yeah there's uh, there's definitely like a point of diminishing returns when it comes to uh, even like the yeah like over eating too many calories and having to kind of uh, maintain that amount of mass is uh, yeah eventually going to become uh, pretty taxing to the system yeah, totally, totally. So we talked about the heat shock proteins. We talked about the fasting. We talked about weight training. What are some other lesser known, uh, you know, stressors that have a hormetic effect that aren't really in the limelight? Like what are some other things you wrote about in the book that people don't really hear that often? Yeah, well, uh, cold is uh, certainly like the good uh, kind of a cousin to heat and the saunas. So cold uh, also triggers a similar uh, stress response, but it does so through things like uh, cold shock proteins. And uh, cold shock proteins uh, are somewhat similar to heat shock proteins, but uh, they uh, also have like um, immune strengthening effect. And uh, they tend to, I would imagine, or at least from my personal experience, I can tell that the colds and ice baths, they lower inflammation much more drastically than the heat. And they also like reduce the muscle soreness and that sort of thing. But uh, in the example of uh, like ketosis and fat burning, then um, cold exposure helps the body to convert uh, white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue. So the brown adipose tissue is considered like the healthy fat, which is going to improve your mitochondrial functioning. And uh, it also helps you to uh, regulate uh, heat Whereas mm-hmm. the white fat is only for like, you know, the calorie maintenance. It's not helping you to, uh, you know, adapt to the cold and uh, whatnot. It's only used for just uh, maintaining your calorie balance. So, yeah, the general longevity, the brown fat is associated with a better uh, longevity as well. That's that's like the biggest uh, difference between them. But uh, again, like cold exposure ha- helps to also lower inflammation with with through things like a glutathione and the general detoxification it also helps with some form of uh, like a cardiovascular health but uh, again like it's it's something that you shouldn't do 
you know, straight off the bat that you start, jump into an ice bath if you've never done it. This also has to kind of build build it up to a certain extent because the, all of those things can have, you know, negative side effects. There are people who have, you know, passed out and, uh, you know, damaged their health as a result of it. So, yeah, you should certainly, you know, approach everything with, uh, like, uh, from the perspective of where you're um, adapted at and uh, do it in a, like a... Just in the same way you do it with with weights, you don't slap on four pounds or four plates for the squats for the first time in your gym. Uh, you you kind of have to gradually build up your strength and uh, get stronger through like a progression. So in the in the concept of cold therapy, how would you recommend someone do it? Like for me as example, I don't really do. I mean, I go hunting in the cold, stuff like that, but I don't really have any, you know, planned cold therapy that I incorporate over the course of a day or a week or a month. How would you suggest I start, like, get a big horse trough, fill it full of water, and then just each week add another block of ice? Or how would you go about that? Uh, well, the first place to start is to just do some cold showers. Uh, that's the easiest place. And, uh, yeah, like, um, doing, like, you can you could do, like, a cold shower every day. There's not going to be any negative side effects to that. Uh, but uh, the only time that you would want to avoid cold exposure is like after exercise or after weight, weight training especially because it's going to again like uh, shut down some of the beneficial adaptation that you get from exercise mm-hmm. so i personally like to do them only in the like the first half of the day or uh, before my exercise and uh, then uh, in the in the evening i may do it as well if i, if I want to kind of if it's too hot or if i want to like fall asleep faster usually for me the cold helps me to get a, like a good night's sleep as well but it may not do for some people uh but yeah generally i i i have like a small uh ice bath here which uh i'm, I'm using almost every day in the morning usually it's good uh it's a good start for the day and increases like alertness and uh, gives a lot of energy but uh yeah like if you start with a cold shower then you could uh gradually move on to something like uh like a you could have like a just a, if you have like some sort of bath or a tub, then you can fill that up with cold water. And there are, I've also seen some people using like these uh, freezers, empty freezers, uh, but for them, they would have to, you know, plug it in somehow and keep the, uh, the water frozen or cold. So I haven't done it myself, but I'm definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of like tutorials online where you can use like these regular uh, refrigerator and you can use it as a, as an ice bath. Gotcha, gotcha. I've got a big chest freezer. I might just need to take the meat out of there and stick myself in instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What else besides the uh, the hot and cold? I mean, what What are some other things that that are lesser known in this space? What else do you write about in the book? Um. Well, yeah. I I also cover a lot about the mindset and just sort of like the psychology because, uh, in my opinion, uh stress is a uh, highly subjective and it's very much depend upon like our own perception of it and the mm-hmm. way we perceive it so for example if uh, a person is sitting in a sauna then they may actually enjoy themselves you know it's it's slightly hot but you know i'm sitting here and it feels kind of good um maybe sitting here with my friends we're having a good time so it's a, it's an enjoyable experience whereas if you were to be exposed to the same amount of heat in a different scenario like you're actually in a desert you don't have the kind of the environment and the way you interpret that environment and that situation so the psychology is massive and the brain can't really tell the difference between uh, 
like uh, a stress that is real and a stress that we kind of imagine in our own head. All of them have a same physiological response. So that's why I believe like having your mindset on point and kind of uh, uh, as reassuring yourself that uh, this kind of a stress can actually be beneficial for you. That's like a really important thing because it's going to prevent you from getting hijacked by your emotional response and it's also going to negate some of the negative side effects because if you freak out while sitting in an ice bath and if you freak out while exercising for example then you may override some of the potential benefits just because uh, you turn that small amount of stress into like overbearing stress and um, like it becomes like a small amount of trauma totally in 100% agreement that's why like I'm a huge advocate for you know, stoic philosophy and just kind of really, like I dive deep into stoicism. Like that's that's had a profound mm. impact on my life. But for me personally, that's kind of what I equate to conditioning the mind. Like if you look at an obstacle or if you look at a, you know, a hurdle in life and you, you readdress the way you view it and view it instead as a, you know, a positive or a way to learn and grow from the situation, then it no longer becomes a negative. It becomes this positive in your life and you embrace it and then the way you respond to it is much better so like for you personally what what are some good practices that you're putting into play that that help that hormetic effect of the mind uh, yeah totally absolutely like uh, i'm also a huge fan of uh, stoicism and i think uh stoicism is like the best mental uh like a mental perspective for stress because uh, the stoics themselves already said like centuries ago that the only thing you can control in this life is your own like thoughts and uh, and actions. So you can't control the weather, you can't control uh, pandemics, you can't control uh, different kinds of stressors, you can't control other people, you can only control how you respond to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why, yeah, kind of just a, just a mere fact of uh, remembering that and reminding yourself that on a continuous basis can be like a very protective um, protective uh like a mechanism against future stressors because like if you have already like contemplated over the fact that you may lose your wallet or you may you may miss the bus or you may uh, i don't know get robbed or you something something like that if you've already thought about those things then you've all already kind of preemptively prepared your mind to handle them so it's called a negative visualization in stoicism you kind of uh think about all these potential negative things that may happen. Uh, but the key aspect of it is that you're not like pessimistic about it or you're not depressed. You don't become anxious. You um, envision those things happening. But at the same time, you also envision how are you going to respond? Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, like, what are you going to do actually if those things happen? So you have like this sort of a game plan and you like mental rehearsal, like, like all high performance athletes do it. They mentally rehearse their uh, race uh, before they actually do it and the same applies to like navy seals and different kinds of performers they all mentally rehearse these things and putting like this sort of a uh, like a negative event into that mix can be like really good just mental practice uh, against them the potential stressors yeah i feel like a lot of people they look at stoicism at the onset and they just they just assume that it's very pessimistic or they assume it's very optimistic where in in reality it's it's neither of the above like i you know it sounds kind of morbid probably but i'll visualize and imagine the things that are closest to me in life whether it be you know the business that i built there on, on like a personal level like my wife crystal my parents my brother and i'll mm-hmm. envision what it would be like if i was to lose them just all of a sudden like what would i do how would i respond it's not like i'm 
wanting that to happen, obviously. And it's like I'm just happy-go-lucky assuming it never could happen. But when you visualize that, then not only does it it strengthen your mind and resolve to be able to respond if that actually was the case, but it makes you appreciate them in the moment being there that much more. I feel like my relationship with, with those loved ones has grown stronger because I have envisioned what it would be like without them. And I feel like a lot of people, they, they just turned a blind eye to that and then they they don't live in the moment because they just assume that it can never be taken from them yeah 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 and it goes back to just this idea that nothing bad could ever happen to us uh it's like uh it's uh only happens in movies like the happy endings are only guaranteed in uh, certain hollywood movies but they're not guaranteed in the real world uh they could happen but at the same time all of those things can also be taken away from you and yeah, I, I do think that stoicism has like a you know good balance between the optimism and uh, the kind of preparedness. So it's not pessimistic. Like, yeah, I totally agree that I feel more grateful for the things that I have, and I feel more appreciative of everyone around me as well uh, because of you know thinking about these sort of grim topics and reading different books and stoic books and kind of r- reminding myself that yeah, uh, there could be like some disaster any moment. Uh, but you know, in research, there's actually that uh, optimism is associated with like a stronger immune system, uh, but only if um, if the stress isn't uh, too demanding and it's just like a smaller amount of stress, you know, something related to maybe just missing the bus or again, like maybe having a deadline, that sort of stress. In that scenario, optimism is uh, associated with a stronger immune system. But um, if if the stress becomes larger, and the stress becomes more uncertain and uncontrollable, more chaotic, uh, then optimism is actually associated with a weaker immune system. So it's like an inverse effect. And the reason has to do with uh, because optimism itself has like a high energy demand. Like in order to stay optimistic, your brain needs more energy because you kind of have to fake it until you make it. And that, that, that demands more energy from it. Whereas, and if you add that energy demand on top of the already existing high energy demand from the stress, then it just becomes like overbearing and therefore it takes away resources from the immune system. Whereas uh, if you were to like have a somewhat more of a stoic uh, mindset, then I would imagine that in a high energy stress um, environment, you would also you wouldn't see that uh, decreased immune system just because you're not you're not lying to yourself that oh everything's gonna be okay I'm gonna gonna make it out alive and that sort of thing you're going to actually you're more grounded in reality uh, but you're not like panicking you're not taken aw- you're not controlled by your emotions but at the same time you're also more grounded and uh, you uh, therefore have like more rationality and more like uh, more, uh, you know, reason reason to uh, act in a more appropriate appropriate way without being overtaken by the stress. That's very interesting. I, I didn't think of it like that, but that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I mean, I look at what's going on now with this pandemic and the coronavirus and everything, and you know, a, a lot of the people that are, are catching it and, and faring very poorly with it are those that have a compromised immune system. They're not healthy. They're metabolically dysfunctional in the first place. But it, I'd be There'd be no way to test this, obviously, but it'd be interesting to know what percentage of these people's cases got worse simply because they didn't have the mental resolve to accept the facts as they are and willingly fight what happened. I mean, so many people are just stressed out beyond 
their wildest belief right now, and yeah. they, they feel lost, they feel depressed, and they just give up. And then when you have that mental shutdown and you give up, then why in the world would your body want to keep fighting? Like if you mentally shut down and accept a defeat, then why is your body going to do otherwise? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a very like unfortunate in a way uh, that uh, there are like a bunch of different stressors, and it's also very just sad because because like the media and the news are also hijacking this fear response, so to say that they are making things worse, and the fear weakens the immune system, and anxiety weakens the immune system. So yeah, your uh, overall stress resiliency would also become uh, lower as a result of that. So yeah, it's a um, uh, you know, part of it, you you, you you know, you have to have like a very, you know, very, uh, you, you shouldn't be dependent upon uh, many things. Like you shouldn't be dependent upon like a paycheck. You shouldn't be dependent upon on uh, like pharmaceuticals. You shouldn't be dependent upon maybe some, some food sources. You should have like at least some uh, like a safety net for all those things. You should have like some food that you have stored. You should have some food that you grow yourself maybe. You should have like at least some additional uh, resources that you can use whenever things get south. So yeah, it's a there there has like a buffer zone you should create for yourself. And uh, yeah, definitely just exposing yourself to stressors and uh, kind of conditioning your brain to handle them is also a preemptive uh, strategy for them. Because yeah, like once everyone can act tough <laughs> uh, and when when it's every, everything is safe, but uh, once uh, re once the chaos really hits, then yeah, you you can see. Uh, the true colors of people, so to say, like everyone is going to either freak out or they're going to stay calm. And uh, the, yeah, like if, if the chaos really hits and if the, if you are under some stress, then uh, your the the ability to stay calm is like really important because you don't want to lose your just like rational thinking. You you don't want to become hijacked by the stress response. Totally agree, man. I don't I don't know what it's like. You said you're in Finland, right? Uh, Estonia. Estonia. That's right. I always forget that. Uh, well, I don't know what it's like in Estonia, but in in the states, it's it's kind of crazy, man. Like it's it's all subdivided based off a of location. You know, people in New York are responding differently than people in Arkansas. Uh, but I think as the as a whole, America just it's just crazy, man. It's crazy to see how people have responded in light of the news, the media, you know, the the virus and the the now you got the racial the racial rioting. It's just it's just crazy. What, what's it like in Estonia? Do you feel like it's is is Estonia giving you more faith in human society or less faith in human society? Well, uh, at the moment, it's pretty calm here. Like we we aren't under lockdown anymore. There's not a lot of new cases, and yeah, like everything is pretty much open uh, as it was before. Um, I, I I'm not sure like what's it like in the big cities, uh, but here it's you know relatively normal or the same it was before. Good, good. I'm hoping that things clear up here uh, because it, it certainly needs to before everybody just goes ballistic or more so ballistic. Yeah. But do you feel like having this pandemic and this virus and everything and all that it's impacted is going to, you think you think it's going to be enough of a stimulus to force people to open their eyes and wake up to the fact that they, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows? Like, Do you feel like this is going to motivate people to become more resilient or do you think they're just going to go back to doing what they've always done? Well, I would hope so that uh, they would wake up, uh, but yeah, like unfortunately, I think the human nature is very stubborn. Uh, we don't really learn a lot from our mistakes, and uh, I think a lot of people would go back to their old habits and like back to their normal way of living. 
but I think the smarter ones, and I do, I, I, I did see, or I did think that it was like a somewhat of a wake up call for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. uh, it did kind of sh- sh- shake them up, so to say, and uh, they did become more aware of their or concerned about their health and more concerned about just sustainable living and self uh, re- reliance and those things. So I, I am optimistic about it. Uh, but yeah, I think the yeah, I think yeah, like generally, generally, the people may 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 maybe heading in the right direction with it. And again, like this wasn't like that big of a, it was like like a good wake up call in a way, in a sense that it wasn't like a massive, massive, uh, massive like a disaster. It wasn't uh, the Black Death, or it wasn't some sort of asteroid hitting our uh, our our globe. So yeah, mm-hmm. so it was like a good uh, wake up call in a way that it wasn't it wasn't that particularly lethal. Um, but uh, you know it's not over yet either. So yeah, we, we just have to wait and see. And then Bay just needs to get a copy of your book and and learn how to get stronger by stress, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> it, you, you said it goes, it comes out in August. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, aug- in the middle of August, August uh, seventeen. Very nice, very nice. Well, what what is the link for that? It's uh, on Amazon. On Amazon, right? And you've got shoot, man. I I've looked up your your Amazon account the other day because I, I just got your other book. Um, but you've got, shoot, like, was it 10 plus books on Amazon now? <laughs> uh, well, I think some of them may be just uh, listed as one of one, one of them being like a Kindle and one of them paperback. But uh, yeah, in total, I have like uh, five books. Five books, man. So how, how do you, wh- what does a typical day look like for you just from a productivity standpoint? Because you're, you're pumping out books non-stop it seems and you're also doing all this hot and cold therapy you're training you just you, you just staying savage man so what does a typical day look like for you right now well uh generally i i, I believe uh, that these different kinds of routines and habits are like a very cornerstone to any kinds of uh both success as well as overall uh just stress adaptation and health mm-hmm. so uh having having these kinds of routines and habits is also like a putting, uh, like a putting uh, the your health on autopilot almost. So if you're doing certain things on a regular basis, on by on a routinely basis, then you don't have to exert like that much willpower to do them, and uh, you don't you don't waste time and you don't waste energy in doing them. So they're hap- just because of uh, you're used to doing them. So that's why uh, I like to like adopt, uh, let's say, certain rules that I follow every day. Uh, and I like to dissect my days into different parts. So the first part is right in the morning after I wake up. So that's the kind of the part where I'm just focused on productivity and uh, yeah, the writing, content creation, podcast, whatever it may be, just to just to like focus on the most important aspect of my work when I'm not distracted and when my mind is the most fresh. So that's, that's the morning uh, in my opinion. And after that, I'll, you know, take a break. I'll also have like scheduled walks. I'll, you know, walk, walk in nature, take a, listen to some audiobooks, get my knowledge from that. And also like, just have like a daily, daily routine for uh, some form of exercise, whether that be resistance training, whether that be just a longer walk, some maybe cardio uh, or some sauna and that sort of thing. So depending on the day. So I always kind of dissect my day into different different blocks. And uh, one of the blocks is always related to work. One of them is always related to just like 
health and fitness. And of course, like the last block is usually where I'll just, you know, relax and, you know, not really do something that is very stimulating. I'll just, you know, yeah, try to calm down and wind down for sleep and uh, prepare for that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think having a very, not necessarily rigid structure because you don't want to be so rigid that it, it sets you up for failure, but having a systematic blocked out system like that in which, you know, if you at least get these boxes checked, you can consider the day a win. I think that's hugely, hugely important. I've been trying to do that myself for, I don't know, the last 10 years of my life. And I feel like if I've, if I continually get some form of exercise in, some form of, uh, you know, consistently eating healthy in, obviously, um, and then some form of like self-developmental growth, you know, if I can do those, mm-hmm. those three things at a minimum, then I can consider the day a win. Yeah, you're totally like the the ability to be flexible is also very important because yeah, if you are very rigid, then you're leaving yourself vulnerable to the stress because there is going to be some days where you're not able to have like a full uh, an hour session for your workout or something. So you have to do with only like maybe 15 minutes or something, which is still better than nothing. Uh, you just have to like adapt and you just have to make it work. So yeah, it's always uh, like having like I... I, in my book, I also talk about it uh, in in the routine section, and it's called like the uh, standard operating system, so to say, SOPs that you have a standard operating system for these random events. Like, if I like, for example, if the if the gym gets closed down, then I'll just go to the park and I'll do some calisthenics or I'll do some burpees, whatever it may be. If if I lose the internet connection and I won't be able to uh, like write or uh, do a podcast, then I'm going to read a book or something something else related. So, and yeah, like that's that sort of thing. Like if having this, you know, uh, stress uh, resilient routines and uh, response systems towards everything you do on a daily basis is also like a good strategy because uh, it's, a, it's a great way to just prepare and uh, also prevent yourself from getting uh, lost in the stress and chaos. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, apart from the book you have coming out, what's what's the next thing on the horizon for you? you have anything else in the works? Uh, well, uh, I ha- I haven't like started working on it yet, but uh, I'm uh, work I'm considering doing also like a some sort of a like a documentary about the same concept uh, or a documentary series about stress and uh, hormesis. So that's not like really, uh, you know conclusive yet but uh it's it's in in the in the planning uh, i'm considering it at the moment that'd be cool man I'd, I'd watch that for sure i feel like i feel like you got a good grasp on the the stressors and whatnot and i feel like it just all of this goes pretty well with you know just the the philosophy and the day-to-day structure of you know if you're following a low-carb ketogenic diet if you're following a, a workout routine if you're having stoic mentality like all these things they just they work in a symbiotic fashion with one another for the betterment of you personally and just society as a whole. So I don't know. I I like seeing how it all fits together. So good kudos to you for compiling it all into an easily digestible book that people can pick up and, and garner some information from. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And yeah, I I, I agree. It's in a weird way. It is a very symbiotic relationship that, uh, you know, fasting itself is a stoic practice and uh, being able to tolerate discomfort is a stoic practice and is also like a hormetic practice so yeah we hear the way that uh, together and they're going to complement each other 100 percent, man 100 percent. well sam it's always a pleasure talking to you brother if there's anything i could do 
uh, I mean, shoot, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and eager to help in any way I possibly can. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, we should stay in touch. Definitely. I'll, I'll, uh, the Amazon is where the book will be on August 17th. Where, where is your primary platform? Uh, well, my website is uh, seamland.com and uh, I'm also seamland on all the social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram. Awesome. Well, I will link out to that as well. I'll put the other podcasts in there too because I feel like those were solid podcasts as well. So keep keep killing it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, you too. And yeah, <laughs> let's keep crushing it. Yes, indeed. Take care, brother.